Greetings, poddies, and welcome to my very new podcast, My Life Not Yours. I'm Tina, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to a bit of banter about my life lessons I've learned along the way. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode. Oh, I'm I'm really pleased to be here. I'm not going to lie. I'm seeing people are coming back. They're rating. No reviews as yet, but you're rating. And I'm really pleased because I guess I didn't know where this podcast is going to go. And I still don't know. But if it's about owning my truth and sharing a little bit in my life, then I'm pleased. And I have to say that I've had some really amazing feedback. One friend left me a message the other day and talked about own this space, Tina, you know, like owning your truth. And she said she was tearful, sad, laughy and whatever else. So it seems that I'm going in the right direction. But if anybody has any feedback, just leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and we can see where we get to. I'm always open for some positive or productive feedback. Anyway, without further ado, it's one week after Easter. Can you believe the week is flying past? And in the UK right now, it is fucking freezing. (laughs) My God. We have gone from sitting outside in your t-shirt, maybe your shorts, although it ain't warm enough for me to be doing that, to minus one and snow. It's cold one week after Easter. So in this episode, I just want to talk a little bit about the visit. around my blood mother who I haven't seen for nearly two years which is no big thing we kind of come together around the Easter time even though I don't really celebrate it for reasons I've sort of mentioned in my uh, last week's episode about my the Ten Commandments according to me but she fries me some fish even though I've been trying to be a flexi plant-based eater there's something about fry fish that I kind of like but I'm being a little bit off on that one because actually I've also said when you start looking at Blue Planet and you look at what goes into fish and all this kind of stuff I shouldn't be eating it I am and I have and I did so as mentioned the bait was fried fish and I remember once upon a time there was a nervousness about visiting my mum Because having flown the nest at 21, under a bit of a cloud, I realised we don't have a lot in common. But as loads of people have said to me, that's okay. Just because someone gave birth to you, and I give my mum a lot of gratitude for that. She didn't abort me. She still had me under extreme stress at the age of 16. It doesn't mean to say I have a relationship with her. So one of the things I really struggle with is... Anything to do with Mother's Day or should I be feeling a certain way? Should we have a daughter-sister relationship? We just don't have that at all. And there's this kind of push-pull relationship with me and my mum. Once we get into our groove a little bit, yeah, I can sit with her. And it's really funny that when I mention this to certain friends, and I do remember two years ago I brought a friend there 
I think it was nearly two years ago. It must be because we've been in lockdown for a year. So yeah, just over a year ago, I brought a friend to see her and it was almost like she couldn't believe this woman that I was describing because they got on like a house on fire, I guess, c'est la vie. And I think also my mum will always say that she's seen my brother's friends or her friends have asked after me, but I'll come on to that. So my mum now is 70 years old and do you know the scariest thing is it's my mirror image. I look at my mum, she has the same resting bitch face. So I get that from her, rather. And it's really weird that it pisses me off because I always get asked, are you all right, Tina? What's upset you today? And I just think, thanks, mum, for giving me that look that you've had for a while. And it's quite scary sometimes. And people have said, Tina, you're a little bit scary. <laughs> and I look at my mum and I say great, I'm scary, we got the same Fran, the rest in bitch face. So now I try to have headphones in my ears and just be listening to, I don't know, Alan Carr, the chatty man, just so I'm bloody giggling all the time. But the seriousness of this is genetics don't lie, as it wasn't until a few years ago on another visit that seeing my mum's relaxed face scared the living daylights out of me. Because she did look really scary. Anyway, enough of the rest, resting bitch face. You see, it makes me stutter just saying the phrase. My mum, I've noticed as she's got a little bit older, she's got this little lisp and it's more prominent now that she seems to be getting older. But I also noticed on the visit, which was Good Friday, by the way, there's this pain in the depth of her eyes that it's almost like there's a story that she should be telling outside of the one she tells with Jesus. Just to put this into context, my mum is an out-and-out churchgoer. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, blah, 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 blah. And it's really interesting that when I came to live with her at 16, at the time, I think she was with my sister's father. And if they hadn't split up, there would have been no room for me to come into this household. So she split up with him. And you know, since that age, which was, God, I'm trying to think now. Um, let me take it back. She would have been around the 40s mark. Do you know, she's never had a partner since because she's married to Jesus. And no disrespect to any Christians or any religions or whatever that are married to their faith, but I found this really difficult. So with that, she is an avid churchgoer and probably reveals a lot more to the church of God than with me or any of my other siblings. And I find that just a little bit frustrating, I guess, because the demons are there and they can't be released. It's like, I guess where I've got to with this a little bit is not everybody was born to have children. It doesn't mean to say just because you've pushed it out with that screaming, hollering, sweating, blood, guts and gore that you're going to be a good mother. So that's one big lesson that I've learned that I thank all the mothers or all the women rather that have given birth. But it really doesn't mean to say that they are a mother. I pause here slightly because I have some fantastic friends around me that they appear to be really amazing mothers and all the effort that goes into their children, educating them recreationally, spiritually, the whole lot is just beautiful. And I've got a real mixture of friends, some who've had their children a little bit older, some that thought they'd never have children, 
and some that they've had them and they've just got on with it and it's just all different ages different cultures and it's just really beautiful to say and they've always said to me Tina what a shame because I haven't got children that you didn't have children because we think you would have been brilliant with children I'm like the earth mother they say hmm I'm not sure because my background would that have come into play would I have been too much of a disciplinarian can just about barely say the word I haven't had children haven't got children have got children love young people so that's why I do a lot of mentoring with young people too so going back to the visit what was interesting is And every time I go to my mum's, which obviously isn't very often, is my earliest memories when I went back to live with my mum. And it is a place called Peckham in the heart of South London in uh, the UK. And she lived in some yellow brick flats. They were actually maisonettes on the Bell's Garden Estate. She's still there now. And one of the favourite things I used to love about this place was, even though now I think it looks like a rabbit hutch or rabbit rabbit warren yeah a rabbit warren is that it was so confined and it really felt like community because everybody's on top of each other i think it's now hideous but listen this is where people live and stay and particularly people who are housed in social housing you could be in flats that reach up to the sky we all know what happened to uh places like grenfell to all those people who died there rest in peace And I think about my mum's place, and actually it's only two storeys, and it actually looks quite good. But when you drive in there, you feel that you're driving into this, oh my God, how do I find this number? Obviously, I live there, so it's not so bad. But she had this balcony either side. So there's a balcony at the kitchen and a balcony at the front room. And you can actually stand out on the balcony and holler across to somebody across the way. So when I got there at the tender age of 16 or so, I remember standing on this balcony, just taking it all in. All black people, people hanging out in the balconies in the summer. It was insane. And what was the best thing is that if you had too many people, if if my brother, because it was my brother, myself and my younger sister, both younger than me, if we could spot mum coming from outside, i.e. she'd been up the high street and was walking through the, the the rabbit warren we could see her so if my brother particularly had some of his friends in there and there were too many we could kick them out and it was always funny with my brother's friends because it was a small maze net it was three bedrooms so my brother had a room I had a room and my little sister was actually sleeping with my mum if my brother had his friends around there my mum went absolutely bonkers because his friends stunk Lord Jesus, Shaw would not have done the job. It's like, didn't these people know how to to, to wash? And I remember my mum would come in and say, Sean, you've had people in here? It stinks. (laughs) She used to just fling open all the doors and the windows and stuff like that. Didn't have that problem with me because I very rarely have my friends around there. Or I did have them in my little bedroom sometimes, but very, very rarely. I often wonder how local authorities built flats that resembled only what I can assume looks like prison. I've never been in prison, never been to a prison to visit anybody. But if you can imagine this long, dingy corridor with three sets of fire doors that separate, you know, different apartments, it's just the lighting's crap and all this kind of stuff. I I just think it was hideous. 
And especially now that I've lived in one. But at least they've got a roof over their head. Anyway, back to my mum's place. Her house is absolutely cluttered with shit. I mean, it's almost like she's hoarding all this junk that's replaced us, her kids. On a serious note, I've been told actually there's a reason that people hoard. I'm sure there is, isn't there? I think it's emotional, there could be neglect. But it's really interesting that every time I go there, I say to my mum, right, when are we going to go to a car boot sale and get rid of all this shit? (laughs) She's only there on her own. She's got two bedrooms full of it. I wouldn't mind if she changed one of those rooms into a walk-in wardrobe or something like that. But she has not. They're just jam-packed with boxes. In the front room, as an example, which is way too hot, you've got two chairs. It's very long, the front room, but small. I'd actually go to say the width of the front room is just over a metre. So you can get my drift how thin this place is. My mum's got three fucking televisions in there. I said to her, why have you got two televisions that don't work in the front room? Because I'd obviously established it didn't work. Well, and I'm waiting for someone to pick them up and take them. Don't be thinking, old Tina, don't be hard on her. She knows a lot of people. Remember all her church people and this one comes around and does this, that and the other for her. But she's got them all in the front room. And then, I I don't know, there's just everything but the kitchen sink. So my thing is, the day I go there and she's talking through the letterbox means there's no room for her even to manoeuvre to bloody talk to me or let me in through the door which is when we've got a real problem, Houston. I think also when I see my mum, there's always flashbacks from when I was younger. In some of the places that I lived, there were lots of unfulfilled visits or no visits at all from my mother. I used to sit there really excited in my best dress and she never used to turn up. And I wonder if this is still deeply ingrained and therefore there's no real mother-daughter bond I guess when you've had your daughter taken away from you at six weeks old, six months old, how do you bond? Where do you get that bond from? You then meet your daughter again properly to live with at 16. So I did see my mum throughout the time that I was part of the care system, but it must be extremely difficult for her. And I do recognise that. Also, I don't know who my father is. So this is another thing that's been put on my birth certificate. There's just a name. And... I remember having a conversation with my mum. What do you see when you see me? And she said, I see the man that I slept with who denied you by saying I wasn't his when my mum confronted him at 16 years old. And I think that pain is with her all the time she sees me because she says I look like him. But she doesn't, it's like she's completely blocked it or she won't talk about it. She gets very defensive. So there's a lot of hurt there. So when she used to say, or when the social workers used to say she's not coming, I used to cry for ages until no more tears could fall, really. And I think temporary families or care homes that tried to console me whenever she said she was going to come, I'm not sure if I ever got over that rejection and loneliness. And this has played a big part in my adult life. It was only a few years ago that I realised why did I not like being rejected? Now, rejection can come in all different forms, whether it's you're doing a review at work and they say you've got to work on this or and you feel rejected slightly, or if you finish with a partner, 
I used to take things really to heart because I couldn't see anything that else that people were rejecting me from friends that I may have not had the best relationship with in terms of how I may be communicated and they thought I don't want to be part of Tina's life anymore but the only way that you can build and mend is when you can recognize this and I went and saw psychotherapist I only saw one Actually, I saw two, one in my adult life and, and one, they've both been in my adult life, actually, because I really needed to understand more about me and my behaviours and also why certain things were happening in my life. And, you know, I only had about three sessions with each of these two different psychotherapists. One was a psychotherapist and one was a, a counsellor. And I feel so proud and there's no shame in anybody going to talk to somebody about stuff. We've all got stuff to deal with, but a lot of people don't deal with it and I needed to deal with it. So the visit always brings back so much for me and I sit there at my mum, sorry, I sit there with my mum and I do feel this remote sorryness for her. That doesn't even make sense, but you know what I mean. And I think because my mum has hidden in the church for so long it's almost like she can boast about me to her friends and say yeah Tina's all right even though I could be lying dead right she hasn't seen me for years but she will say to her friends and always says to me yeah Mrs Green asked after you the other day Tina and I said you're good and I thought now back in the day I used to argue back with my mum and say but why would you say that when you don't pick up the phone, you don't actually make any contact with me? How do you have the cheek and audacity to say to people that I'm all right? But you know what? You get to a safe and comfortable space within yourself and know the situation that there's no point arguing or attacking her. This is how she is. And if that makes her happy and comfortable saying to her friends I'm okay, then I just have to let it go. On a bit more of a positive note, and uplifting, mum and I do actually have some things in common. We like cooking and we like baking, although my mum takes it to another fucking level. I went in the kitchen <laughs> to get my fried fish and I said to mum, who are all these cakes for? She said, oh, you know, I got a little bit bored during lockdown last week and decided to bake six cakes. You gonna take any to church, mum, or anything like that? No, I just thought I'd experiment. I've made a cabbage cake, potato cake I mean none of these cakes were worthy of me saying can I take some home I just felt quite sick cabbage cake but the fact of the matter is she bulk cooks and bakes a bit like I do I'm on my own can't cook for one what's the point of that I cook like there's going to be four or six people and then I freeze it but apparently my mum's freezer because she hoards in the bloody fridge as well so shit in there that she doesn't need and it's like I can't even deal with this exercise I'm a bit of a freak when it comes to exercise. I love working out. So does my mum. I was actually quite shocked during the visit. She declared, well, I walk every other day, Tina. And if I can't walk or on the other days, I get in front of YouTube in the front room. And I'm thinking, how the hell do you have the room to move in the front room? You can barely walk between a chair or a book or three televisions. How do you get to work out? But do you know what? Sometimes silence is golden. You just leave it right where it is. The other thing I know that we have in common is travel. And it actually runs through the family because I've got another aunt who's in um, the US. And every birthday, my aunt will always go somewhere. And we're not talking 
a little trip over to somewhere else in the US. She's been to Egypt. She's been to Kenya. She's been here, there and everywhere. And my mum's the same and I'm the same. What was interesting though, when we were talking about travel and I said, oh, where are you going to go when we come out of lockdown? She said, oh, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it where it is. And I said, I don't know what made me say it. Bearing in mind, I can probably be in my mum's company for less than an hour. Oh, we should go and visit my 92-year-old grandmother in, in British Columbia in Canada. And so she said, oh, yes, that'd be good. My mum gets all excited and all whatever. And we don't ever do anything like that. Just like we'd said earlier, oh, we'll meet up for a walk and, you know, and and do that. But whether that happens is a different story. Because when it's always down to me to organise it or, or contact her, she doesn't feature in my thoughts every day. She doesn't feature in my life. So I find it really difficult to, to carry that through. The other thing we have in common is allergies. Now, check this out. <laughs> this will make you laugh. So when I got to the house, and and this is all rightly so, my mum said to me that she hadn't had anybody in the house for over a year. So me being her firstborn, I felt quite privileged. When I knocked the door, she opened it and she was sat up the top of the steps. So as you come into this maisonette, you've got the kitchen, then you've got steps that go upstairs. So she was sat on the top step and I said, what are you doing up there? remember she's got the resting bitch face no lights were on it's fucking scary asking her that question and she said i'm keeping my social distance i said all right mum calm down she said well you're getting all defensive <laughs> i'd only asked her what she's doing sitting on the top step so you can see there's always this push pull push pull as the visit went on obviously it calmed down a little bit we're sitting there my mum gets out a face mask i then say to her what are you doing and she said, you're making my throat itch. I said, what? She said, it's not you personally, but maybe you've brought something from the outside. So she's sitting there at the other end of the room in the, in the, in the front room with her face mask on after 15, 20 minutes of me being in the house because her throat was all scratchy. And I'm sitting there thinking, do you not think that your allergies are from all this shit that's sitting in this house that just needs to be thrown out the fucking window? But I didn't say it. I didn't lose my cool. But it was interesting because I, I get allergies as well. Mainly mine's hay fever or if I've eaten something or come into contact with something, I start scratching. So I think there is something there. I guess things to think about going forward and more things I've learned during the visit, apart from that she hasn't let anyone into her home apart from me, my mum is getting older and maybe I should really try and meditate and ask the universe, because I'm really into the law of attraction, by the way, that's another, that's another episode. Should I make more of an effort? But it's really hard for me when it's a one-way street. What I have done is put in my notes or tasks on my phone to contact my mum next week and ask if she wants to go for a walk. So tick for me. I also, when I went to visit my mum, had strong feelings about my brother who is sadly deceased. And because my mum kept talking about his friends and some of her churchy mates who still remember and ask after me, I wonder how much of an impact did I have when I came to live with her? Because I was, quote unquote, the black sheep, literally. I was really different from them. I had a different upbringing, slightly middle classy in some or upper working class, all this bloody class system. Social class and social status is quite interesting in society today. And it definitely came into play when I went to live with my mum. Uh, that's a whole different ballgame. Even if she hasn't spoken to me in a decade, 
rather than the shame of not really knowing what the hell's going on, there's this whole false pretense with my mum. So I've learned that she would rather not lose face and say something that she doesn't know anything about. And I find that uh, really weird. Funnily enough, she did tell me that when she went on her walks to this place called Burgess Park, which is her local park in South London, she sometimes sees one of my ex-boyfriends in the park who always asks after me. How weird is that? His name was Herman. I mean, I was dating him at 17 and he wasn't going to do a lot with his life and, and stuff, but apparently he always asks after me when he's walking or sitting in the park and he sees my mum. She doesn't change her spots. She goes to the same park all the time. So maybe, perhaps if I go there and say, do you want to go for a walk? We can go somewhere different. What I've really enjoyed during lockdown is walking down different streets that I wouldn't normally go down and getting to know different areas. I mean, my locale, I know it like the back of my hand, so I need to change. So who knows? I may report back to you and say, yeah, I phoned her and I went for a walk. My thought for the day you can't change or live in the past it's all about the future and i believe that my mum is a decent person but there are demons that she's going to go to a grave with and i have to accept that i think i have accepted that that i will never know certain things that made her sad but i think if you can imagine someone having a child at 16 well there's quite a few of them now to be fair in the bible dare I say it, it says children will be having children. So that's come to pass and some. In the 60s, it would have been particularly difficult, especially when your own mother says to you, abort it or get out of my house. And that sentiment will live with me forever that my gran gave my mum the ultimatum and she chose to keep me here. So I am giving ultimate blessings for standing here delivering this podcast. Some of it may be a bit sad and some of it I hope you had a jolly good laugh. But until the next episode of My Life Not Yours, take good care of yourselves and don't forget to tune in for my next episode. <laughs>